At this time, all of our elementary students and middle school students can be dismissed to their classrooms. Well, it has been um, over four months since I have stood up here and given any type of message. That is the longest I have ever went in the many years here um, without speaking. So I understand that some of you might not know who I am. If that's the case, my name is Justin Amos, and I'm the associate pastor here at Wellspring. Um, maybe you've seen me on the drum set in recent weeks. Um, I promise you I do more than just play the drums and hit things, though. At least I tried to appear like I do, so I think I might have the church board fooled, but hey, it's a good gig either way. We are in the middle of our Slow to Anger sermon series, and the question that has been guiding um, our time each week is this. What did Jesus get angry about, and are we getting angry about the same things? We've looked at stories where Jesus becomes indignant when we create roadblocks and make it difficult for people to encounter God. We've examined how Jesus became angry when religious leaders were more concerned about obeying the law than they were caring for hurting people. Last week, we looked at how Jesus emphasized his tender heart for children and warned that it would be better if someone were executed than it would be if they would cause a little child to stumble. So if you came here today with the assumption that Jesus was just a, a good old guy that was really nice and made people feel good about themselves, then that view will be shattered today, okay, if it already hasn't been. Because the text we're going to look at this morning is much more difficult for most of us to accept. What we're talking about today is something that many of us are pretty unaware of in our own lives, even though we might view it as acceptable, but when we see it in other people, it disgusts us. If other people call us out in this area, we are quick to defend, dismiss, or cast blame on others. We're talking about self-righteousness. Anyone excited? It's going to be fun. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Open your Bibles to Matthew 23, we'll be looking at verses 25 through 28, I think it's page 1411 if you're using a pew Bible, kind of a little bit of context here, Jesus is in the middle of a lengthy dialogue, okay, um, and he's flat out condemning the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, which are just kind of the religious elite of the day in ancient Israel, and he is just calling them out left and right for the wickedness in their hearts, Matthew 23, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean." Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, 
but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus is hot, okay? You could call him guns blazing, angry. So he is calling the top religious leaders hypocrites, greedy, self-indulgent, blind, full of dead bones, unclean, and wicked. If you have ever been publicly attacked or publicly condemned, you know how awkward this moment is, right? You know how awkward this is. Okay, he is rebuking their self-righteousness and calling out their wicked hearts. And actually, there's seven different times within this dialogue where Jesus tells them, woe to you, to the Pharisees, to the religious elite. This is the fifth and sixth time he's rebuked them. So by this point, they're probably sick to their stomach of hearing from this guy, and they're furious at him wondering who this man thinks he is to call them out. They are the top dogs that people look up to for spiritual guidance, and they do all the right things, and Jesus could care less. He is having none of it. By saying woe to you, he is declaring judgment on them because they're nothing more than hypocrites who are only concerned with themselves And in verses 25 through 28, Jesus has this contrast going on between the outside and the inside of our lives. He's using everyday imagery that anybody could understand, such as cups and dishes, which obviously they used for meals. The Pharisees focused their attention on the outside, on the external, right? They attended church, worship services. They prayed, they tithed, they read their Bibles. They were good boys. And yet they neglected the inside. They neglected to give attention to the attitude and the posture of their heart. And the second woe here is really the same thing. He compares religious leaders to whitewashed tombs, and that's exactly what it sounds like. Think of a tombstone that has been painted white to make it look nice, even beautiful. I did a Google search, like there are some beautiful tombstones out there. And they look good on the outside, but inside or underneath, It is rotten bones, right? Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to smell that. All their good deeds, always trying to appear righteous to others. And Jesus is not angry because they were sinners. He's angry because they pretended they were better than they were. The message translation really lays this out vividly, verses 27 and 28. It says, you're hopeless. You religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds, you're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. Ouch. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. And what's interesting about self-righteousness is that when we think about this, our minds almost always go to other people, right? They go to someone else rather than thinking of ourselves. And self-righteousness is very closely related to pride, okay? Anyone can be prideful about anything and think that they're better than others in a certain area or a certain way that they operate. But when pride moves over to the spiritual realm, 
and it starts to permeate the way that we think and behave towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, then it has become self-righteousness. And honestly, I was talking to my wife Sarah this morning, it's probably the most difficult sin for us to detect in our lives. Pastor Tim Keller said, your sins always appear smaller to you than they really are. And self-righteousness may be one of the least visible to us of all. We don't even know how blind we are. We are blind to our blindness, and that is a very dangerous position to be in. Being spiritually blind is far worse than being physically blind. Because when you are physically blind, you know. It is obvious. You need help. You need a guide to show you where you're going. You need a cane or a walking stick of some sort to guide you, right? Spiritually blind people don't even know they're blind and can operate year after year in ways that are detrimental to their hearts and detrimental to the hearts of others by judging and condemning them. So, before we go any further, I've got a question for you guys on this note. So I want some feedback. So this is class participation, okay? What makes self-righteousness so difficult for us to detect in our own lives? Why are we so often just blind to it within ourselves? We can clearly see it in others fairly well, but it often takes someone else to call us out before we start to maybe even acknowledge that it's there. What do you think? The floor is open. Why is self-righteousness so difficult for us to detect in ourselves? So speaking of yourselves, okay, the floor is open. What do you guys think? I know this is a fun topic. Yes, Grace. You want to think that you're kind of better off than what you might be. Okay, yeah, that's exactly what... Exactly what Tim Keller said. Yeah. What else? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so she can justify easily in her mind why her views or the way she does things are right as opposed to other people that might have contrary views. Good, good. Well, not good, but yeah. What else? Yep, yep. Years of justifying. Our sinful behavior or attitude starts to build a wall. Yeah, to really hide ourselves, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Good. Anyone else? Jamie. Okay, yeah. 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 Our culture, yeah, we live in a culture that really promotes self-righteousness. And so to be self-righteous, you kind of just fit in with our society. Good, good. Thank you, guys. I think for many of us, kind of 
what Grace said, we believe we're far better off than we really are. Our sin doesn't wreck us. Because when we measure ourselves up against other people, we can say, I'm doing all right compared to her. I'm a little bit above him. Accepting that we are powerless apart from Christ to save ourselves is much more difficult than to judge others. Judging others requires nothing of us. Accepting that we're nothing apart from Christ requires us to be humble and to admit that we are broken, weak, and fragile. Let me give you a personal example of what self-righteousness looks like. This is ridiculous. Okay, so get ready. So as I was writing my sermon this week, I got to this point in my message. So I'm about one-third of the way done. And it hit me that not one time had I thought about myself. I, I was thinking about other people. I think they might be kind of self-righteous. I wonder if this point will resonate with them or really convict them. <laughs> Guys, that is insane. That is so bad. So I stand before you as the deliverer of a message on self-righteousness that I was being self-righteous as I wrote this sermon. And I literally had to stop. I got off my desk, and I just had to take some time, take a moment, and just be like, God, show me how I'm self-righteous. And he did by writing a sermon on it, revealed it to me. But also, it became kind of clear to me, one of the ways I can be judgmental of others is feeling as though I'm more humble and self-aware, kind of like the guy that says, I'm the most humble person you'll ever meet. It's really stupid. When you're prideful in your humility, yeah, you're not that humble. And because of some of my ministry training and just experience, I can think I'm a little bit ahead of the game than some people. I, I might, I don't really verbalize that, but it's thoughts that I think. And so sometimes my thoughts, my attitude can just reek of self-righteousness. And that became really clear to me this past week. And guys, I am fully aware, too, of what Scripture says about those of us that teach. Okay? Whether it's me teaching up here, whether it's first century Pharisees, or any one of you in a position to teach God's word. James 3.1 says, not many of you should become teachers. Don't do it. My fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Cool. So I got that going for me, right? No pressure. C.S. Lewis threw this truth bomb at me this week as I was studying. A cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. That's cool, too. Jesus knew that to be true. Think about the story in Matthew chapter 9. He calls Matthew to be his disciple. Matthew accepts the invitation. And probably that, it was probably that night, he goes over to Matthew's house and he has dinner with all the tax collectors who are frowned upon, sinful, and a bunch of other sinners. He's having dinner with them. And Jesus knew what he was doing. Okay? He knew that, get, that the Pharisees would get worked up over him socializing with such horrible people. And they did. They went to his disciples and they said, why is, your, why is your master eating with the scum of the earth? What is he doing? 
Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You guys think you're doing all right. I came here to be with people and help people who actually know they're weak and know that they need saved. Another thing that self-righteousness does to us is that it makes us play the comparison game. Some of you are smiling. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 10 and Galatians 4 multiple times. He says we should not compare ourselves to others because we're not trying to be like others. We're trying to be like Jesus. He is the goal. And guess what? He is perfection. Perfection. That is the goal. And comparing ourselves to others, kind of like Justin May was saying, comes quite naturally for us, especially growing up in a culture that has ingrained in us to one-up other people for our own status, promotion, prestige. Comparing ourselves to Christ is how we become like Christ. Not comparing how well we're measuring up to other people and their spiritual growth. And this is a big one, guys. I want you to pay attention here. A hard truth for us to accept is that we are never being obedient to God in all areas of our lives. If we were, we would be perfect. And I have yet to meet a person living in their glorified, perfected state. Okay? If that's you, please come talk to me. So there might be those one, two, three issues that you are all about, okay? These are the issues, these are the hills that you will die on, okay? You will not be persuaded, you will not be proved wrong, okay? Guess what? You can be right in those two or three areas and completely miss the point in other areas of your walk with Christ. So for example, you can have strong views on what male and female leadership should look like in a church, while at the same time not being generous at all. Not even tithing. And guys, that is absurd. Those two things cannot coexist. We cannot pick and choose what parts of scripture that we are going to adhere to and submit our lives to and dismiss the rest. So when we look around and we see people living in ways that we disagree with, having a lifestyle that we might not agree with, do we completely dismiss them? Absolutely not. God can teach anyone anything at any time that he wants. What I'm saying, guys, is do not judge. Romans 2.1 says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. At whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Don't be mad at me. Take that up with Jesus, guys. And perhaps nowhere does our self-righteousness manifest itself as much as our presence on social media. Those of us who claim to follow Christ, we know that Jesus says, hey, take the big two-by-four wooden plank out of your own eye before you start going around and calling out the little specks of sawdust in everybody else's eye, telling them that they've got all these things wrong 
about their views or the way that they're living life. When we're tweeting, posting on Instagram, whatever your fancy is, and someone shares a stance that you disagree with, how often is our response one saturated in humility? I'll tell you, rarely, okay? If ever. Rarely do we go, man, you know what? Maybe I got this wrong. Maybe I'm not looking at every angle here, every perspective. I'm not really putting my, myself in their shoes. Maybe I'm the mess. It's much more, you're wrong. You're the reason why our city's a mess. You're the reason why our country sucks, and you need to change because I can't tolerate you, right? Look at any dialogue. That's basically what it is. You're always going to have somebody acting that way. I came across, this is really good, guys. I came across two articles this week as I was preparing this sermon. Yeah, you tell them. One of them was by um, Outreach Magazine, and then another one was by King Center Church. I think they're a church in the UK. Oh, this was good. And they did some, they did some articles on some signs or indicators that you might be self-righteous. So it made me think, this is really stupid. It made me think of those old, hold on, no, no, not yet, not yet. Made me think of those old um, Jeff Foxworthy jokes. Any Jeff Foxworthy fans? You might be a redneck if, right? So stupid. You might be a redneck if you make change out of the offering plate. Just dumb stuff. That was actually one of them. <laughs> was that like the 90s? Anyway, so this is a list. This is not mine. These Christian organizations and churches put this together. So let's check this out. You might be self-righteous if your prayers rarely, if ever, contain heartfelt personal confession. You might be self-righteous if you believe God actually needs you. You might be self-righteous if someone tries to rebuke you, you get angry and offended. You might be self-righteous if you spend more time talking about what you are against, not what you are for. That's a big one. You might be self-righteous if you read the Bible to substantiate your convictions, not to be shaped into God's image. And you might be self-righteous if you read the first five points and only thought about other people. <laughs> Facts. So, leave that up there. I'm going to give you guys a minute to chew on that. Okay? Think about yourself, not the person next to you, not your child, not your spouse, not your cousin, whatever. How does that set with you? Does that list make you mad? Does it make you uncomfortable? I'm serious. Do you feel any tension in your body? Is your chest tightening up as you read some of that? That's a sign that you've been triggered. Pay attention. So take a minute of silence, reflect on that, and then I'll ask you guys a question. All right, so how's that set with you? How do you respond to that? You speaking of yourself only. What's your response to that list there? This is a short list, too. There's many more.
do you think? Yes, please. Okay, so you know, number three, bam, that's me, that hit, that hits. Okay, okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. What else? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's, he said number two is the one that resonates with him the most. Anyone else? Just thoughts or reflections on that? Number one, it's closest to me. Because rarely am I, if I'm being honest, rarely am I truly broken over my sin. Don't get me wrong. I ask God to forgive me when I know I've done something or I know I'm in the wrong. I will confess, but I don't usually feel the weight of my sin. I don't allow myself to really set in it and let myself be reminded of how messed up I am apart from Christ. And the Christian life, we talked about this in one of our last staff meetings, the Christian life is a journey of kind of growing in two different directions. One of those is you want to grow in being more aware of how messed up we are. That's part of it. But then the other one is growing and understanding how radically loved and accepted we are by a good, gracious God. So I'm on this journey with you guys. I came across a quote this week by well-known author uh, Brene Brown that really stopped me in my tracks. Here's what she had to say. Self-righteousness is just the armor of self-loathing. It's just the armor of self-loathing. Nothing I read on self-righteousness perplexed me as much as this quote. I had to chew on this for a while because I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you at all. And you don't have to agree with that quote. I don't care. That's not even the point. But here's what I think she's saying. Let's consider maybe she's on to something here. When we think or act in a way that is self-righteousness, that is self-righteous, We are basically trying to see ourselves as better than others to avoid facing the reality of our own brokenness. For many of us, self-righteousness is a defense behavior to avoid being vulnerable. I'm going to say that again. For many of us, self-righteousness is a defense behavior to avoid being vulnerable. Self-righteousness protects us, or so we think, from feeling weak. It protects us from acknowledging that we are more flawed than what we'd like to admit. Or perhaps we don't have quite as much figured out in this life as we think we do. Do you avoid vulnerability? Could self-righteousness be a way that you are protecting yourself from being vulnerable? Have you grown accustomed to wearing the mask of self-righteousness to protect yourself from feeling weak and fragile? Very few things made Jesus angry as much 
as believers who operate with the spirit of self-righteousness. He called the self-righteous of his time hypocrites, greedy, self-indulgent, blind, full of dead bones, unclean, and wicked. And a little later in Matthew 23, he calls them a family of snakes, a brood of vipers. He does not mess around with self-righteousness. He has no tolerance for it at all. And we have to consider how we're responding to the self-righteousness in our own lives and in the lives of others. We know for sure that Jesus did not play games. It made him furious. And since most of us are unable to detect it within ourselves, we're probably going to have to invite some people into an honest, self-examining process in our own life so that we can see clearly. So before we start pointing out how we disagree with others and their stances, let's take the big old two-by-four out of our own eye and look in the mirror, okay? So when you think of someone you could invite into this, don't say, hey, you know, this question, do you sense any self-righteous spirit within me at all? We all have people in our life who will just tell us what we want to hear. We all have those friends who are not going to speak anything challenging to us because they don't want to hurt our feelings. Don't go to those people. Like, they, I'm just telling you. If there's someone that you know in your life who will shoot you straight, but that you know they're for you, and you're like, oh, man, I'm a, I don't know. That makes me a little nervous thinking about that person. That's probably exactly who you need to ask. Okay? Someone that makes you a tad bit nervous. Man, is there any self-righteous attitude that you sense in me? That's probably who you should seek out. Let's drop the mask of self-righteousness and choose vulnerability. There is no shame for those of us in Christ. No condemnation. Our past does not define us. Define us. The playing field is level at the foot of the cross. When we choose vulnerability and admit to trusted brothers and sisters in Christ that we're broken and need help, everything else takes care of itself. We will stop playing the comparison game. We will stop judging others. And we will be better able to be filled with gratitude and let that gratitude flow out of our everyday lives because of the incredible grace that we have received. And guys, as we come to the communion table here in a minute, I'm going to give you some time to ask God to search you. To make clear the attitude and the posture of your heart. I don't know what that is. Let us set in the blessed reality that we are made righteous. Not because of anything we did, but only because of the death and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We did nothing to become righteous. It is all a gift. So take a few minutes now. And let that truth set in your heart and fill you with gratitude. I'm going to pray for us in a minute. The ushers will come dismiss you by row. You can come forward, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice. And I believe, yes, we have a gluten-free option as well if you need that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word here. Jesus, we want to be people that are humble. 
God, people that, are com- that compare ourselves to you, God. Not measuring ourselves and our spiritual health based on others. God, I pray that we would be serious about this issue of self-righteousness. It's so hard for us to see it, God. Help us to be bold enough, God, to lovingly call it out in people if we have that permission and have that kind of relationship with them, God. We don't want to keep operating this way. We don't want to be righteous saints on the outside, but complete phony, fake frauds on the inside, God. That is none of our hearts. I know that. So, God, I pray that we would understand our righteousness is a complete gift from you. God, and let that humble us. Lord, let us drop the mask and choose vulnerability to admit every day, God, that we are powerless apart from you. We are weak, we are fragile, and we are in desperate need of a Savior every single day, every moment. God, I pray that you would hear our prayers right now in this time of silence and just examine our hearts and speak what each of us need to hear. In Jesus' name.